Come on, let's just welcome him. Let's just welcome the Lord. Father, we say, be worshipped. Be worshipped today in the way that you deserve. Father, increase our capacity to give you the glory that is due your name. Father, we want to give you the glory that's due your name. So, Father, may every sense of reserve, every inclination to hold back, every every desire to protect ourselves, to honor ourselves, to to not compromise our own integrity. Lord, we want to worship you today with all of our strength, with all of our heart, with all of our minds. God, to love you with everything that is inside of us. Lord, increase our ability to do that. Well, welcome this morning to Spruce Grove Community Church. If you're visiting with us, it's great to have you here. Listen, we're a worshiping people because I love the trajectory of plotting our journey as Christians. It is an increased capacity to give Him honor and glory, an increased capacity to distinguish Him, to, you know, we say the words, they're, they're all in kinds of words. Lord, we give you all the glory. But what God's doing in your life is to expose the things in your heart where you're not giving Him glory, where you're giving yourself glory, so that when you say, we give you all the glory, that becomes increasingly the case. I believe that as that becomes increasingly real in a group of people, that there's a corresponding response from heaven in terms of a presence, and that that, that presence is what changes our community. And that means the, the pace of the change of Spruce Grove is not contingent upon the people out there, but the people in here. And so, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, this last week, you had the Battle for Canada, and I, I was just talking to uh, some others who had some other events, all kinds of things going on around the country and around the, the region of Alberta. But we had the Battle for Canada at the Expo Center this week, and, and uh, I was suddenly reminded in one of the sessions of, of uh, I was in Mexico a few years ago, and the Lord showed me, and I can't remember what passage it was, but one of these scenarios where Jesus comes to somebody who has an obvious need, and it was a blind man, and he says to him, what is it you want me to do for you? And I heard a sermon about that. The sermon was extolling the fact that this guy who is blind, he, he asked for this optimum thing. I want to receive my sight. He asked for something supernatural. He asked for something miraculous, and, you know, it was extolling the, the faith of this man where, you know, he could have asked for so much less. And that's absolutely true. But here's the thing. He could have asked for so much more. I mean, the one who created the worlds is standing in front of you, and all you asked for was sight. Abraham discovered something that we're on a journey to discover. And Abraham, he was seeking God. And God said to him, I am your exceeding and great reward. And so I want to put this, as we go into worship here, I want to present some possibilities for you. What is it that you're asking for today? What is it you're here looking for? And I pray, but by the grace of God, your faith can notch up a few layers into something more than the immediate need that occupies your emotions, your mind, your life right now, that there is so much more 
The capacity of God to respond to your life. It's like Solomon. Solomon, he didn't ask for victory over his enemies. He didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for riches. He asked for wisdom. He asked for something that was innate in the character of God. And God said, because you didn't ask for these lower things, you asked for these higher things. You're going to get the higher thing and everything else underneath it. When you go for him, you get everything else. You get everything else. So we're here today to ask, to seek, to find more of him. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we worship you more this morning, I pray that you would invade this room with the capacity, the, the potential, God, that we've maybe not seen and maybe not realized, that, Lord, you would awaken us to possibilities for our community, for ourselves, for our children, for our day, for our lifetimes, God, that we're, we're never awakened before. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you today. Amen. Can you say amen? All right, let's worship him. I can't remember the name of the speaker, but he did this teaching. You guys will know him right away, but he said, God, God plays hide and seek. That the whole, you can understand your discipleship through the hiding and seeking of God. And we do this with our children. You know, you do a treasure hunt with three-year-olds, and you're going to put that treasure in very obvious places because their capacity to think and to look is, is minimal. And so even right out in the open, for things that a five-year-old would find instantly, a three-year-old's like, this is hard. But then, you know, the difference between a five-year-old and a ten-year-old and where you hide, and, and you, you hide just a little bit beyond where they are right now. Not so much as to discourage them, but as to give them hope but diligence at the same time. Because the teaching was this, is that God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to pull us into his world. He came into our world to introduce us to his world. And he gradually backs off because he wants you to seek a little bit harder. And because we're all different, we're all in different places, where he's putting the treasure that you need to find might be a little bit different than the person next to you, but he's, he's got it all in hand. And I want to I say this morning that he's saying, seek me. If you seek me, you will find me. And don't be discouraged if maybe you're at that transition where the treasure is just a little bit further than it was yesterday. It's not far off from you. It's not really that hidden. It's in a place made to be found. And God is drawing you. He's increasing your capacity. So seek him today. You know, as a young Christian, everything would just... He, he met you. He was there before you. And now he's, he's not there. You're going to that place and it's not there. He hasn't left you. You haven't committed the unpardonable sin. He's not mad at you to the point where he's punishing you. He's saying, listen, find me. Find me. The, the glory of kings is to find the treasure. The glory of God is to hide it. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, this morning we want to seek you. We long for you. Lord, you are our exceeding and great reward. The greatest joy of this journey is to come into a little more of who you are. 
The greatest treasure, the greatest reward is to taste and see that you are good. Oh God, we love you. We love you. Come on, let's lift up your voice to him. Lift up your sound. I am believing for a day when a canopy of God's presence materializes not only over a people that are believers, but over an entire community. You know, Israel walked around and they had a tent of God's presence. They were transformed because the glory of God went with them wherever they were. And that the effect of that was seen around and people by the millions eventually. They, they came in, you know, to David's rule, under Solomon's rule. They connected because there was a presence. There was something that made everything better, enriched everything. And that's what we're called to be for our community, a banner, a canopy that causes people. I want people to drive by this church and get saved. I want people to be drive by and be compelled to feel something of the love of God because the need out there is desperate. But the evidence of the answer is not clear enough yet. But it's getting clearer. It's getting clearer. Pockets of the glory of the Lord are going to materialize over cities in these last days. They're going to make them cities of spiritual refuge. People are going to be driving by 16A and 16 They're going to... At first, they're gonna, I don't know what it is. I, I might just move to Spruce Grove because I, every time I drive out of there, it must be, I, I like it. I like it. There's an atmosphere. It's just, I don't know what it is, but I like it. And they might at first think it's the parks. They might think it's the architecture. They might, but it's the glory of God, the presence of God. So, Father, right now we pray for our city. We pray for Parkland County and Spruce Grove City and Stony Plain. And we say, God, let the prophetic words that you've said regarding this area come to pass. Father, we ask you for a commanded blessing on this region as we dedicate ourselves to being the light of God for this community. We pray, God, command your blessing in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. All right, you can be seated. Well, in a few minutes, we got a special uh, couple with us today visiting. They're pastors here in town, and we're going to introduce them in a little bit, but uh, be ready for that, so I won't be sharing today. Though, you know, I've already done like three mini-sermons. All right. Uh, let me read a, a passage before I, I introduce our guests here. And I don't know, maybe Desiree, you would like to say hello before the, you know, anointed preaching. And maybe you're the anointed preacher. Who knows, right? Holy Spirit. But one of my favorite verses of all time, because uh, uh, I've been involved in unity movements for a long time. And I have to say, when I first heard about John 17 and Jesus' prayer, it was, it was at a time when I started to notice how much division prevailed in the body of Christ and how childish and foolish we were. And I, I got to tell you, uh, I couldn't see it happening. You know, I mean, I read it, it says there, he's praying, and I'm thinking, yeah. I don't know how that's going to come about because I just, you know, that's just too up there. But I tell you what, I am seeing things happening. I'm seeing a grace of God upon the people of God. I'm seeing levels of affection, levels of intimacy between brothers and sisters and the family of God. We are coming into something globally as the body of Christ. 
that is getting better and better and better as the Holy Spirit removes from our lives the things that divide. And his intent is that he would fulfill not only John 17, but we would see this. And I'll read this, this psalm. It says, it's Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like, I love it. You know, Jesus, all of his parables, right? Is, the kingdom of heaven is like. Because there's nothing quite exactly representative of heaven. But he says, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. So if you want more anointing, step into oneness. Step into unity. The the, the, the unity releases the anointing of God. You want a more anointed evangelistic ministry? Start blessing the body of Christ. Start start honoring brothers and sisters around you. Deal with the division in your heart. And the thing, next thing he says, he says, it's, it is like the dew on Mount Hermon, uh, descending on the mountains of Zion. It's like that refreshing atmosphere that comes down the mountain. Wouldn't it be great if every time we got together there would be so much unity that it was just this invigorating, life-giving showers of beauty that were just being showered. Every pore of your being is inundated in the life of God, the freshness of the breath of life. The last thing, he says, for there, the place of unity, the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You know, we have had tokens of the presence of God, and we study revivals as these outpourings, and we try to think, okay, what, what made that happen? What Azusa Street, what made that happen? You know, the Scottish Isles, what made that happen? Pensacola, what made that happen? Toronto, what made that happen? We're trying to reproduce you know, the, the circumstance around that. Well, biblically, there's a level of outpouring where God doesn't just release something, but he commands life. One day, the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and it's going to be the outcome of God commanding life over cities and regions as his people become one. So we have uh, Brett and Desiree Eslinger here from it's Engaged City Church, right? City Church. I knew it was Engaged. Engaged City Church. Anyway, they, they pastor here, and we've got some of their, their folks here, I think. Uh, we've got two anyway. But um, we did a thing a few months ago where other pastors from the region, Archie was in here, and then Archie had me speak at, at the church uh, in Stony Plain, and I wanted to bring Brett in because we are not against one another. And I want to say, I love what these guys are doing. I'm not uh, competitive because they, they're doing something different than us, and we need them. And there's different ways that we're going to be the pointy end of the spear, and there's different ways that they're going to be the pointy end of the spear. And every church has something that we need from them. And we are beginning to come to a place of maturity where we're beginning to acknowledge the body. You know, 1 Corinthians says that judgment came on the Corinthians because they didn't discern the body. They didn't recognize the different parts of the body. And so we're, we're doing that because we want that life of God to come. So we love these guys. We're happy they're here. Let's celebrate them as, as they come. Amen. Good morning. Man, I'm excited that I get to be here, guys. It's kind of a miracle for me because I am normally running our kids' uh, department between two locations and running back and forth. And so my team is taking that, and I get to be here with you. And I just, 
wanted to take a second and, and to kind of touch on what you were talking about, Pastor, and I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for, um, as individuals, but as a church, for being so welcoming of us and of, of our community of people because it means the world. We are together when we are thrilled that we get to do life together with you as a church to reach this community that we love so much. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for just having such um, a welcoming spirit to us. Well, it is uh, an honor to be here with you uh, today from across town on King Street. You know, the long commute this morning was... A struggle, all the travel arrangements and, you know, everything that had to be taken care of for us to get here. But, uh, you know, we made it, thank God. And uh, uh, so we are the pastors at Engage Church. We're actually dropping city uh, from the name, mostly because we added the location of Stony Plain, and they're a town. So it's kind of awkward to be Engage City Church in a town. So we just kind of, we just dropped it. We moved here, uh, Desiree and I moved here six years ago. Because uh, we felt like this is where God was calling us. We had a list of uh, five communities that we were praying about starting a church in. And uh, it was between Spruce Grove and Fort Saskatchewan. So we moved here from, you know, again, made a large travel from Edmonton. Uh, we knew two people here, and we just knew that we were supposed to start a church here. And that was six years ago. We started in the movie theater, you know, behind uh, Save On Foods. We got bought out three times, and they ended up kicking us out at the end. Because uh, they wanted to play operas in our time slot. Uh, needless to say, that did not work out for them. Uh, they did not know their demographic, nor their market. But that led us to having to find a spot, trying to find a place. And it was actually in that season that it actually started drawing us together as we uncovered some things about our city. What we discovered about the city of Spruce Grove when we were trying to find a space was that unwittingly or maybe unknowingly to our elected officials, they had accidentally removed religious assembly from every area of zoning in the entire city except where churches already existed which means that you cannot start something new or go anywhere that they decided that you cannot be without them approving that process. And the city administration at the time was not interested in putting churches anywhere where they weren't currently. And uh, so that led us into a bit of a confrontation. And I may have got a little aggressive with our former city manager because, you know, you just got to take some territory when it's, you know, you're, if I'm going to get in a fight, let's get in a fight, you know? And uh, we, we got into this, into this little altercation, and God opened up a door for us. Now, our story as a church is that God always does something for us at the very last minute, and usually it's the Friday before Sunday. So when we moved here, everything happened in the wrong order. We, you know, I didn't have a, a job yet. Some of you might recognize me from my first year when we started the church. I managed the Starbucks over by Home Depot because, you know, you need a job uh, when you have nobody in your church yet. So we got our house, and, you know, we got a house and I didn't have a job yet. Then I got a job, but then we still don't have a venue for the church. And so then uh, we, we tried to rent the movie theater before we even got the movie theater. And they tried to charge us $300 an hour and that wasn't happening. And then all of a sudden that person got removed from their position and someone else got put in and they offered to it, it to us for a fraction of the cost. And that we signed the contract the Friday before our first Sunday. Then, you know, we get notice that we got to move out of our movie theater and we're trying to find a spot. We try to move the industrial area, get into, you know, minor altercation with the city of Spruce Grove, learn that that's not going to happen. And then I get a phone call from another pastor in town uh, of Gateway Church 
Pastor Craig, and he said, hey, uh, can we meet on Sunday? I said, I, I'm kind of busy, <laughs> uh, but sure, let's, let's, let's meet. And he called me on the Friday before Sunday, and on that Monday, I was going to file paperwork to do a site-specific zoning amendment, which is, you know, wordy language for I was going to continue the fight to get the other space. And on that Sunday, he said, hey, we're transitioning out. Uh, we're going to close the church down. We want to know if you want to take over our space, take over assets, take over our charity, take over everything, and just kind of step into this. And that's what led us to our location at King Street. So it's the Friday before the Sunday. And uh, that's how God has always operated for us. And our son, uh, Kingston, was born that week. And for us, every time we have a baby, something significant shifts for our church. So whenever it was born, we came and planted the church. When Kingston was born, he was born the week. She's not pregnant, no. Uh, so... <clears throat> When, when, we, when Kingston was born, right, we have two sons, six and four, and Kingston was born the week that we moved into King Street. And if you rearrange his name, it's on King Street. His name's Kingston. We didn't know that. Uh, my mom, like, she's like, oh, I think, and, you know, my mom's not that person either, so for her to come to that conclusion was quite amazing. But uh, what we have now seen over the last four years, and we are all living in as a community, is an entire shifting uh, within the city of Spruce Grove. And, and I want to unlock maybe why. In Jeremiah 29, we're not going to go to verse 11, though I know you love it. We'll start in verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled from Babylon, uh, to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today. And uh, if you actually see that phrase, peace and prosperity, it's actually the Hebrew room which, word which you're familiar with, shalom. <clears throat> work for the shalom of your city. So this is to a bunch of exiles. Now, <laughs> we're not in exile in Spruce Grove, though maybe it feels that way when you're commuting. Um, <laughs> but the principle remains. We are supposed to stand here and get involved in everyday life. Have a job. Start a business. Have kids. Join a, you know, a a board or a committee, uh, you're like, what? That's not biblical. It is, actually. Uh, vote. Be a part of, you know, the political process. Serve your community. Serve at an event that's not church-related in the community. We work for the shalom of our city. Now, Dr. Plantinga, uh, he defines the word shalom in English. The best way that he could translate it in his studies is actually universal flourishing. So we work for the universal flourishing of the city. And that is essentially what we are all called to as churches in this community, to work together as believers, as followers of Jesus, for the universal flourishing of our city. And I believe that it's actually working for the shalom of God, the universal flourishing of our city, that's actually unlocking the favor uh, in the city. 
the shift that we are beginning to experience and that we all actually share in, and I actually would attribute a lot of it to the prayer intercession that would be happening here out of this house in this body, because as Pastor Mark said, that we each have a role in the body. You know, Romans and Corinthians articulates the, the body of Christ, and oftentimes we only apply that in, in the church, right? That we all would have our own gift, but it's also true for the broader church that we each would have our own gift and role and purpose. So we have a church, have a different gift, role, purpose than you do as a church, but we then share in the benefits of those blessings and the seasons that we walk into. So as you intercede, the truth is we're reaping a harvest that you've been praying for. So you might be familiar with uh, an initiative that we have started called the Engaged Bus, where we had this crazy idea to buy a used transit bus and then paint it black because everyone likes things that are painted black and, uh, and then use it to transport people to and from the food bank. And we, we don't preach, we don't teach, we don't do anything except for drive people to and from the food bank, and we just shower them with love. Uh, we actually, I got a story from last week, uh, Tracy, well, you know Tracy Green, uh, was volunteering on the bus, and for the first time, uh, we had, it's a kneeling bus with a ramp, and the ramp rolled down, and this lady on the wheelchair was able to get on. And uh, we were able to load up our groceries for her, and then they were able to drive her to her house uh, at the end like right up, as close as they could get with this 40-foot bus, roll the ramp down and, and help her with the groceries. And she just started weeping because she couldn't uh, believe, like, the love that was being poured out, that somebody would just do this and that they would do it for them. That's what happens when we work for the shalom of the city. It's a universal flourishing where people who are the most vulnerable begin to succeed or can taste in things that we very much so take for granted. It's the exact same thing that you're doing with the Wellness Center and with the Refugee Center and with the ESL classes. We are actually now understanding as a church broadly, not our church or your church, but broadly, that God has called us to take care of the needs of our community. And that if we take care of the most physical, tangible needs of our community, that their hearts will actually begin to turn. Because I was walking into, so we're in the midst of trying to find a new building. Um, if you've ever driven by our spot, you're like, is that, what is that? Uh, is that, is there, what is that? So depending on who people are, I'm like, you're like, where are you? I'm like, well, depending on who you are, we're right by uh, Liquor R Us. Or near the laundromat, and that kind of gets you there if you're trying to figure out, depending on who I'm talking to, uh, in the moment. Uh, and, like, I know exactly where that is. Perfect. Oh, you dance gold medal costumes. We're right, we're right there. Uh, you know, we just, we just... Uh, articulate that in a different way to different people. But we're in the midst of trying to find a, a new building, and so we're negotiating on a warehouse space uh, in the industrial area, which four years ago would have not have been possible. Except that um, I had a meeting with a couple of our new members of council, and they said, hey, we're behind you 100%. We're going to support whatever zoning needs to get done. We've already got the votes to do it. <laughs> And then Mayor Houston caught me at an event, and he said, listen, Brett, you can just go wherever you want, do whatever you want to do. We'll just make it happen for you, which is an entire shift from where we have been in the past, where it's like, no. So now it's, sure, what, what can we do to help you? And, and, and two people inside you know, the administration have actually moved on, which were the actual roadblocks. Uh, 
Uh, you know, it feels like that Friday before Sunday moment where that other employee got moved out so that at just the right time, at just the right moment, God could do what he wanted to do because we've been investing in prayer and we've been investing in the shalom and the peace and universal flourishing of the city. And so you now God is doing something significant in this city and in this region because, uh, you know, we might sometimes take it for granted what's happening, but because we live in a smaller center, it's actually easier to get closer to the circle of influence and to affect immediate change. And we are all a part of that, starting to shift and change what's happening in this region. Why? Because the shalom or the peace of God begins to shift the atmosphere of a city and of a region. So when that becomes our trajectory, when we begin to live, work, and contend for the shalom of our city, the atmosphere literally changes. And that's what we are now living in and starting to taste right now. And that's what you're also living in and starting to taste right now. And I actually believe that the significance of the wellness center and the ESL programs and the refugee center, it's actually, I think it's going to surprise you. It's going to scare you. It's going to change the face of your church in a good way. And you might also feel like in a bad way, I'm going to be honest. Because it's going to change the way you have to minister. It's going to change the way you have to approach things. It's going to change what you think is acceptable for somebody to come to church at. And that's okay. Because that's actually what harvest looks like. But let's, don't take my word, let's look at the Bible. Let's go to the book of Jonah. (laughs) Buckle up, book of Jonah. Okay. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the, uh, to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Judgment. Now that is power, okay? When the prophetic word from God is, hey, go to that city and just tell them I'm about to blow them up. That you, like, and you're the chosen vessel. You're like, I am awesome. Fire, you know? It's like, we pray for fire, but we just mean, like, metaphorically. Jonah was praying for fire, and he was like, literally, burn them up. Burn it to the ground. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Amazing how a prophet of the Lord literally knows nothing about the Lord that he could would think that he could get on a boat and leave him. But he didn't leave for the reason maybe that you think. We actually get a clue and a hint about why he turned around. Later we find it in Jonah chapter 4, and it says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. So what, what had happened was Jonah, you know, eventually makes it to Nineveh, eventually proclaims the destruction of God upon them. But they were so moved that the king slipped off his throne, put on other robes, tore his robes, declared fasting, prayer, cried out to the Lord. Even the animals were fasting. (laughs) Crazy. Like, just next time you do a season of fasting for your church, just don't feed your cat, okay? (laughs) Just see what the Lord does. And if there's less cats, praise God. Uh, You know, breakthrough. But they turned their hearts. God changes his mind in Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Ver, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. 
Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Now, again, this wasn't recorded, but this is the reason why he turned around. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn your back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So the Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry about this? Like, is this okay? Is it, Jonah, just back it up. You're so mad that I'm slow to anger, known for unfailing love and compassion, and that's upsetting you right now. But there's more to the story because, you see, the other major prophecy that Jonah had actually happened in 2 Kings 14 under Jeroboam II. Now, Jeroboam II was a wicked and evil king, but they actually experienced, the nation of Israel experienced during his reign the most wealth and success that they had since Solomon. So when you're Jonah, and you're a prophet for King Jeroboam II, and Jeroboam says, hey, what does God want? And Jonah's major word is, we're going to take the territory. We're taking the ground. We're possessing land. We're expanding. Yeah. Yeah. And then it happens. I could only assume that he's probably well compensated. But his track record is now, when Jonah's sent somewhere, and he prophesies destruction, It doesn't just mean destruction. It means that Israel's going to roll in. We're going to take more ground. We're going to seize these assets. And we're going to rule and reign over this territory. So his entire life and ego and career as a wartime prophet is wrapped up in this prophecy. Because when other people, including the king, who was also evil, wicked, and vicious, would have understood that he prophesied it and then it wasn't fulfilled in the way that they thought. Or that... Another outcome came, even though it came from God, Jonah's thinking, I'm, I'm dead one way or the other. And at least, at least if I prophesy destruction and it comes, I can die with my ego intact. That's why he's angry. It's not just, oh, Jonah doesn't want to do what God says. No, had a reputation of doing exactly what God says, saying what God wanted to be said, seeing success. And he was afraid that God had something else in mind. And the truth is, Oftentimes, we live in this Jonah spirit. We want to take the land. We want to take the ground. But we want to conquer it. We want to rule and reign. And yet what God is asking us to do is put out the word and watch repentance and salvation begin to pop up as the hearts are turned. But we're like, God, no, no, this is not how I wanted it to go. I just wanted to take this territory. The angry prophet. And God's like, yeah, but I got a different plan. You know, unfailing love and mercy and grace where their hearts are turned towards me. I had something else in mind. You had a preconceived outcome of how this should happen and how this should look and how this should go down. But I got something else in mind. And that's what I think and I see and I feel about the ESL center and the, and the wellness centers. You've got maybe an idea, but God's got something else in mind that's going to turn hearts back towards him by taking care of the universal flourishing, the shalom, in the hearts and minds of this emerging community. And it might not be in the way that we intended it, which sounds a whole lot more like God (laughs) and a whole lot less like. So how then do we contend for the shalom of our city while we simply confront the Jonah spirit? The Spirit says it has to go down my way. 
with my intention, how I planned it, how it should look for me, what my expression is. God says, that's, that's so great that you've got some cute ideas about how this should go. But God, we didn't sing my song. How will salvation come to the city if I do not sing my prophetic song? To which the Lord replies, is it okay for you to be angry about this? I want to continue. Uh, I was going to say, I'm going to continue to be uh, as transparent with you as I can. If, if I was to look at where I am as a pastor and a leader now, and Bible college me uh, 12 years ago would look at me now, I would have labeled myself as um, a sellout and somebody who does not understand the prophetic or the voice of the Spirit. If I was to look at me now, I would have a whole bunch of preconceived notions about my method of ministry and about the way we go about doing things because I just didn't know then what I know now. And, and there was something in, inside of me, obviously, that needed to be broken at that time so we can come and do what we're doing right now to reach people that we're reaching right now. So I don't stand up here and talk about these things from a place of inexperience. I talk about confronting these attitudes because I've had to walk through that myself. And I'm not even saying that you're going to come out looking like us. In fact, that would be a travesty. It really would. Because there is something, you know, beautiful in your midst that is your own identity. And if any of us actually start looking too much like one another, it's probably a bad thing. And that's not unity, that's uniformity. And that's not in God's plan. Because his plan is to knit us and weave us together across the region to reach more people. There are people that come here that would never work in our context. And there are people in our context that it would not work here. Because that was actually God's plan. We just for a long time, and and this is my roots, this is where I came from, so I can speak of this confidence. I came from a place where we thought we were it. Like, we are the answer to the region. And if you don't come here, then you're not a Christian. <laughs> and you're like, that sounds so funny. That was my life. No, that, that's, that, that's actual real stuff. Like, it was not necessarily preached, but felt. But that's not actually the heart of God. The heart of God is to weave us together and to knit us together to do our own part of his plan and strategy and each one unlocks something different so we're in a season of seeing a lot of salvations a lot of new believers coming in uh, a lot of a lot of the rawest of the raw you know um, if, if I'm being honest there are weeks where I'm I'm thankful uh, and you'll be offended by this but that's okay um, I've got a phrase with my team that says Christians are the worst because we are Because the longer we get in this thing, the more opinionated we become, the more set in our ways we become, the more things need to be finely tuned to our our preferences. Because, you know, like, listen, I've been around the block. The more we don't want to do things because we've already spent our time doing that somewhere else. Listen, church is not time served. So it's great that you served in kids' ministry for 20 years somewhere else. If we need help in kids' ministry now, it's not time. Like, I don't give you credit for time served. We just need you in kids' ministry. Oh, I've I've finished my season. That's not how this works. Right? That's just actually not how this works. 
It's just not. Like, there's just a need, and it needs to be filled. And if we're going to, like, actually back up what we, what we say that we believe about generations, then we would understand that if you, your parenting season was done and you're now in a grandparenting season, you feel like you've served your time in kids' ministry, you're actually probably best positioned now to be in kids as a grandparent because you love them more. Yeah. Right? Well, that's not in the notes, but I hope I see a strong uptick in kids' ministry uh, here. I don't even know what I'm talking about. All right. We confront the Jonah spirit. And the spirit is really, I just want it my way, when I want it, how I want it. And I want to be used by God if and when I decide that I want to be used by God. Say what I want him to say through me only, though. And I don't want to be embarrassed if he changes his mind. Now, I, w- I would suggest that God probably didn't change his mind, that his intention the entire time was to bring about salvation to that city, and that they would rule and reign in a different way, that they would there be, you know, be neighbors and coexisting in a region, because ultimately it was the Assyrians that pushed out the evil king Jeroboam. So God wanted the universal flourishing to be happening next door to get rid of the evil king that was in Israel. And if he would have just given them their land, that would have never happened. Oh, there's more strategy than than meets the eye here. You know what? God actually has a plan. Right? And like sometimes we're like, where are you? He's he's like, I appreciate that you're you're looking for me, but I would appreciate more if you just did what I asked you to do. Because there is a season of seeking, but then there's a season of him speaking. And when he speaks, he will then lay out a plan and a strategy. And then he asks you to do that. And then, you know, it's really funny. Uh, I mean, you got, I know you've all had kids or you have kids at a season. It's like, you ask your kid to clean up. Like, go to the playroom. It's like, <laughs> Everett, six, Everett, go to the playroom and clean up. Yeah, 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 Dad. I love you. Great. You're the best, Dad. Cool. Like, you give me the greatest gifts, and I just love you so much. Go clean the playroom. <laughs> right? So in the, in the natural, we're like, yeah, kids. In the spiritual, God's like, kids. <laughs> I worship you, my God. Go clean the playroom. <laughs> we're just rolling today. I heard that, you, you know, I just didn't even need notes today, so I'm just rolling. Uh, but I have three pages of notes anyways. Anyways, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Because there's a, there's a shift that happens, uh, moving it, Old Covenant to New Covenant, so we can understand exactly how this plays out or exactly how this looks. And we can, we can actually begin to understand what it looks like to bring the universal flourishing and the shalom to our city by looking at the life of Jesus. And there's a few things that are significant about the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus, my favorite parts about Jesus are the nicknames that he got from other people. In the book of Luke, once in, in chapter 5, once in chapter 15, he gets these awesome nicknames. The first one, it's like, Jesus, friend of sinners. And that was a great song in the late 90s. That's awesome. Paul Oakley. You know, Jesus. Do you sing that? Friend of sinners. Great song. Awesome name. Even better name happens later in Luke 15 where it's like Jesus. And Luke 15 talks about how teachers of religious law, but also other notorious sinners would come and hang out with Jesus. I want to be someone who hangs out with the notorious sinners, you know? Like, I... <laughs> Every once in a while we do like these church t-shirts, and I asked the guys if we could do like a Notorious Sinners uh, collection. They said no. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a good idea. But <clears throat> Jesus had this reputation of being around people that needed him desperately. You know, there's that moment in Luke 5 where he says, listen, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. 
So how do we bring the universal flourishing of the shalom if we are not in direct contact with the people who need the universal flourishing and shalom? If I spend more time with my friends from church than I do with people who need Jesus, then how do I get them to church because I don't know who they are? Like, how do I invite somebody if my social circle is strictly contained to the people that come to church with me? Right? Well, no, but I, I go to work and, like, I've got, like, I know you go to work and you work with unchristian people. Maybe we could start with eliminating the us versus them narrative. Oh, that person over there with those bad habits, or that person who shops at that liquor store over there, those people, those people who don't mow their lawn on time and let it grow, it's like, don't they care about their home? Don't you care about their lives enough to ask why they couldn't mow their lawn for the last three months, even though they did it perfectly for the last two and a half years? The heart of God, which is, you know, Jesus put so beautifully on display, was to go exactly to where he was needed and to speak to those people, oftentimes to the chagrin of every other religious leader around. To the point where going to the party in Luke 5 at Levi's house, right after <clears throat> Levi the tax collector gets saved, with all the tax collectors, the Pharisees go to the disciples and go, what? why does Jesus eat and drink with such scum? That's in the Bible. You can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 5. Only way they would know that if they were at the exact same party. And I wonder how many times we actually embrace this, the, the Pharisee men, Pharisaical mentality more than the spirit of Jesus. Where we might even go to the party or go to the event, but we're like, oh, those people over there. And then we forget that moment in Romans 5. <laughs> Let me explain. You see, because in Romans 5, verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. Romans 5, 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. At just the right time, when we were utterly helpless. I hate to break it to you, but the people that you are looking at and mocking in the corner over there are people who were utterly helpless. And Jesus has sent you at just the right time, at just the right space, at just the right party to open up a pathway for them to meet him. And he's doing it through you. You know that moment that we gloss over when he says he's going to draw all men unto himself and then we forgot that he lives in us. And so he draws all men to himself by drawing them to you. And yet we hate it. Like, why do they always talk to me? Like, why is it when I go to Perks, they find me? It's because I'm there a lot. Um, been to. Romans 5.10, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. While we were still His enemies, He came at just the right time when we were utterly helpless and His enemies. And He's talking about you, nice Christian person. You were His enemy and you were utterly helpless and in distress. And now it is our job and our responsibility, our calling, to work for the universal shalom of the city, for the peace of the city. And we do that 
by bringing the message of Jesus Christ, the hope, the love, the unfailing love, the slow to anger. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to help you. He wants to save you. He wants to turn your life around. That message, the one that Jonah got so angry about because he would have rather seen destruction, and sometimes I'd rather see destruction too when my neighbor's blaring his music at midnight. That's a true story. That's God's work and grace in my life for that. And yet, they're utterly helpless, and God sent me at just the right time so I could bring that message of hope and peace and love. And that also means I need to adjust my preferences because my preferences are to find my nice alone time and live in it. And when I'm in my house, it's my sanctuary, so please leave me alone. And yet my neighbors are there all the time. So I have to adjust my preferences, adjust my settings, adjust my options, adjust my heart and adjust my mentality and see the world. Sometimes I think we see, like we just clapped for Peru, 200 souls, absolutely unbelievable. You know that like that happens here? Now here's the thing. It happens through you. Through Christ working through you, right? But we like it better. Bear with me. When it's in a foreign country, because we have no personal responsibility. Because we fly in and we fly out. What sucks is when you see that person every three days. And now I have to be responsible. And I have to walk with you. And I have to talk with you. And I have to answer your questions. And if I got you saved, then I have to bring you to church. And this is my place for me. No, church is not for you. I mean... If we're going to clap, let's clap. Okay. <laughs> Church is not for you. It's for him. Yeah. And it's for them. Yeah. Not for me. Right. Not for me. It's why we like getting a prophetic word of knowledge. And, and I love prophetic words of knowledge and word of discernment. Don't, get, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's why we like to pray, God, I'm at Superstore. Please. Open my eyes in the spirit realm to see the one person looking for popsicles that needs a prophetic word that they could be saved today. We like that because we can drop the word and walk away. And Jesus wants us to drop the word and walk with him through every season of life. And it's a both-end approach. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God still does those things. And he loves to do those things because... You're obedient to listening to his voice in that way. But it doesn't, we cannot abdicate our responsibility for those who are known to us. And you might be wondering, is that possible here? In the last two years, we have seen 248 decisions to follow Jesus. Over 65% of those have, are become, have become members of our church. The national average for conversion rates is 7%. It happens here. They are some of our best people. They're some of our best volunteers. In fact, you give me a new believer, I can do more with that person than I can an established believer. On average. Because there's an openness and a willingness and it's fresh. And is it going to change? Yes, but it's our job to help them understand that it's going to change, but to create a strong foundation that they can be walking in it for a long, long, long time. We don't level up in the sense of where we earn our way out of doing other tasks. 
we just level up in a greater knowledge of yeah. Jesus. But guess what happens when we have a greater knowledge? We sense a greater responsibility to take care of the smallest details. Because oftentimes, the biggest victories are found in the smallest details. That's why when you get that word of knowledge, it's just like, how did you know that one thing? Small detail. So when we're talking about church building, which is just a whole pivot, another thought. When we're talking about building a church and building a, a place where people can come and find, like, find home here, it's where we care about the smallest attention smallest details where we find the biggest wins because somebody just knows that you thought about that one thing and if it was important to them it shows that they're important to you because somebody else took care of that small thing and sometimes we just want all the spiritual stuff and we forget the physical stuff I'm guilty as charged but sometimes when we take care of the physical stuff it opens up a pathway for all the spiritual stuff to pour in. Wow, we are off track. It happens here, I'm told. <laughs> I won't even go there. What I was supposed to talk to you about <laughs> was these four men who had a willingness to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Do you know this moment in scripture? In the book of Luke? Where paralytic is laying on a mat. And four guys are like, you know what? We're getting this guy to Jesus. And they travel with him on a mat. Down a road a long ways. And then they get there and the room is full. It's crowded. It's packed. It's jammed out. You know, the stuff that we all dream of. The church is so full that nobody could get in. The parking lot is full and nobody could even get in and this guy's like we need to get this guy in so they just did you know what anyone else would do they cut a hole in the roof (laughs) to which all the pastors are like no please don't do that you will be arrested you will be tried in court of law it's our insurance cover you know paralytic men coming through holes in the roof and it's funny and it's a joke but can you sense the desperation of somebody who is willing to literally get out a saw and they didn't have tools that would they just clawed with their bare hands until there was a hole in the roof that they could get this person like they ripped apart somebody's house and they didn't care because what was pressing was the person on the mat was paralyzed and could never walk and could did, had no hope and had no life and had no direction and had, had nothing. In fact, that person on the mat was viewed by everyone else in society as cursed because that was how they understood sickness, that you were cursed and punished by God. And they said, you know, we know somebody named Jesus who's full of unfailing love and mercy, slow to anger, who loves to turn these sins around, who can turn this life around. And we're doing whatever's necessary, including putting our lives on the line by going to jail. Because that's like they ripped a roof apart. I'm putting them in jail, too. I'm like, no, you can't just destroy my house like this. You can't just do this. They said, I don't care. I don't care about the consequence to myself. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what the repair bill is. I don't care anything. But I know if I could get this person in front of Jesus, everything can change. 
Everything can change. Everything can change. All I have to do is do everything in my power to get this person in front of Jesus, and everything will change. And guess what happens? They get the person in front of Jesus, and Jesus was not surprised by somebody ripping a hole in the roof. He just said, get up. Your sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees were like, <gasps> only God can do that. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm God. Oh, maybe this is exactly what I was supposed to be saying. And maybe this actually all ties up and wraps it all up together. Because isn't it true that what we're called to do in a community is to confront the Jonah spirit that says it's about my preferences and become the person just like one of these guys who says, you know what? No matter what the cost is to me personally. I got to get somebody in front of Jesus. And though you might not know somebody who's physically paralyzed, you know somebody who's emotionally paralyzed and frozen and stuck in their life. You know somebody who's overwhelmed with their sin who just needs to get in front of Jesus to be forgiven. You know somebody who's literally selling their life and their soul short because they feel no sense of worth. And you know that if they could only get in the presence of God, they would discover how loved they are. And so maybe me confronting the Jonah spirit looks a lot like a lot less like me confronting anything and a whole lot more like me embracing the position of heart that says, I will at any time do anything necessary to get somebody into the presence of Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter the relational toll, no matter me giving up my free time, No matter the fact that, you know, I don't like to talk to anyone at the gym. I mean, I don't go there, but you might. Um, <clears throat> I don't like to talk to anybody at the gym because this is just me time. And if I talk to that person on another treadmill, she'll track me down every time. Don't you think that maybe God brought you to the gym at just that right time, at just the right moment? Because you believe this about the spiritual part of your life. Don't you just think that he maybe brought you to the gym at just the right time to be standing at the treadmill at just that moment to be... You know, listening to worship music about Jesus unleashing his love on the lost. And you're standing there going, I'm not talking to her. I'm not. If I talk to her, I'm going to give up my me time. And Jesus is like, don't you understand how ridiculous this picture is? So church, I believe it was my simple mission to come here today. And encourage you to get people in front of Jesus no matter the cost. And if you do that, the things that you have prayed for and have laid a framework and a groundwork for are actually already here. It's now time to shift out of believing for it and to move into living in it. And it is a shift. And it is a change. And it's going to feel different. It's going to look different. And your preferences will be challenged. But this is what it's talking about. Harvest. You know, there's no time in scripture where anyone actually, like Jesus, ever directed us to pray for harvest. He only asked us to pray for laborers. And you know what I'm looking at right now? Laborers. And you've been praying for harvest and God said, yeah, but now it's time for you to become a laborer. Because it's the laborers who bring in the harvest. He's going to bring in the harvest through you. Yeah. I know you might, you might have been leaving for a random bus to drive in off the street and just 
stumble in here. And that might happen. Like I, he's God. <laughs> in fact, it probably will happen knowing you guys. <clears throat> but why wait for the random encounter? When, God, when your whole life has been strategically laid out in front of you. Didn't you pray to get into that right house in the right neighborhood? Didn't you pray to get the right job at the right place, at the right desk at the right time? Didn't you pray to get your kid into that school? So didn't God strategically place you there to bring the shalom and the universal flourishing of that neighborhood, community, school, office, and job site? Well, let's stand together. Is that what we do here? Do we worship? What do we do here? <laughs> I'm going to pass it back to the bishop, <laughs> international apostle, Chris Bannis. <laughs> you know, we've, we've been saying this for a long time. Jesus at a particular point in his life, and he said, uh, and, you know, we've made church about the place where we get our sustenance. You know, come, I need you to feed me. I need you to pour, you know, things into me. And he said, my food is to do the will. And so the question is, you know, why do we stall? In, you know, why do we stall at some point? And one of the reasons is, is disillusionment. I mean, one of my, one of my greatest passions as I, as I watch, I, I see Christians plateau in their spiritual development and that plateau, like, how can I help you get over that hump? And so much of it is actually right around this. It's stop receiving, start giving. It's more blessed to give than receive. That get, if you'd give away what you've got so far, then maybe that elusive thing you need will find itself magically in your life right in front of you. That's what it means, you know, that my food, I get strength from serving. And it's a hard thing, you know, where, you, where you're shifting. Christians love to soak up the atmosphere of church and what other ministries do for them. But there comes that point where God said, no, okay, no, you need to turn this corner. And, uh, and, and I know we're, we're doing it, and you're doing it. But there's a few people that are stuck. And many of us are stuck in different ways. But my heart this morning, and thank you for the prophetic unction and your evangelistic charge. You know, an evangelist equips the saints by making them aware of the harvest that's right in front of them. And, and that's, that's part of what you saw this morning. Much more, but part of that. But, you know, um, I had this thought. I thought, some of us are at this place where we're and this is the hump I want to get you over. You get, you get an Ikea furniture thing. Anybody ever get an Ikea furniture? Something that needs assembly, right? And you start to assemble it. And, of course, the pieces aren't fitting, right? And uh, I've done this so often. Man, I, I'm, I'm terrible at this. And I'm putting this thing together. And sure enough, the pieces aren't fitting, the ma- I always blame the manufacturing process. I, I always think, don't these guys know how to do this? 
And I can tell you, about nine out of ten times I go back and I realize I was putting the wrong piece in the wrong place. But some, some of us are frustrated in our journey with God because the thing, you know, we reached out for a promise. We reached out for an experience. We reached out for a part of the, of the journey that was supposed to happen this way. And suddenly we're at this crossroads where it's not happening that way and we don't know why. And you know what we do? We fault the manufacturing process. I did it right, but it's not working. Except we're not talking about Ikea now. We're talking about him. And he doesn't make mistakes. And I, I'm trying to get, you know, if we could, I, I'm trying to get believers into this corner. If you realize that you are walking with a perfect God, then the fault, get used to being the one that's wrong. You can't ever say, I did it right and it didn't work. God, I did it your way and it didn't work. Impossible. Harvest. We're coming, and this is the heart, you know, we're coming to a place where God, we're doing it right and they're just not coming. Not true. There's a better version of what we're present, needs to be presented. See, Jesus had no problem drawing in the people. They came after him. Wherever he was, they came after him. We were talking about this last week, but Charles Price came to Edmonton right on the expo, 1927. The most amazing miracles and signs and wonders. They built a 12,000-seat auditorium around that for the meetings. People, there were so many people that came there breaking the windows to, to be able to hear what he had to say. They were climbing up on the roofs and pulling off tiles and offering money for the seats down below. They felt guilty about breaking the windows and they threw money in. So I, I was thinking, okay, God, whatever they had, whatever Jesus had, whatever Charles Price had, we want that. And maybe, maybe the missing equation is not, you know, if we just pray a little more, and I love prayer, you know we pray. Maybe if we just start to do what he was saying. Maybe if we start to own our neighbors. Maybe if we, you know, and I know, oh, but my life sucks right now. And I want to take it. When my life is better, then I'll start caring. That's not how it works. God, so I'm not going to make an altar call or anything. Well, worship team. I want us to, I want, you know, we've been, we're crying out to God. We're saying, God, we want what you have, and you are right. But, but I, could we possibly be open to a whole new level of the, the template of the kingdom of God in our midst and what it might look like? And it always comes when you, when you say to yourself, Lord, we don't know. We don't know. We don't really know what we're doing. Part of what's so refreshing about young believers is they're like the little kids that we were exhorted to be. They, they're teachable. You know, we get a few miles under our belt and we say, yeah, and we come into churches and we're critical because we know how it should be. No, we don't. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that out of our hearts, the desire for harvest, the desire... Lord, to meet that need across the street or 
across the office. Thank you, Father. We've barely scratched the surface of what God wants to pour out through us. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to principalities and powers, and you are the church. We are the manifestation of God in the earth. And that's not sacrilegious. That's how he meant it to be. Jesus said, I am the Son of God. And you know what creation, you know what our country, you know what our city is looking for? The manifestation of the sons of God. Be the answer. So, Father, I pray today. You don't have to do this, but I feel a response is a step. And I'm going to take a step. You might not have room for a 12-inch step, but you can just move an inch forward. But I want to make a step to say, God, as a demonstration that we want what you, we want your vision for this community. We want your vision for our life. I'm going to take a step. And if you feel like you want to say, God, I'm, I'm ready. Whatever you want, whatever you're doing, I'm ready. I want you to take a step with me. So, Lord, I say in Jesus' name, I'm ready. As the body of Christ, Lord, we want to be the body of Christ. We want to be the church of God. So we're going to close the service today by singing a song. You guys pick a suitable song, one with words and everything. And and we're going to sing that as a dedication. Say, Lord, we're yours. We are your workmanship. We're going to stop complaining. We're going to stop accusing. We're going to be the answer. We're going to say, you're right, God, I'm wrong. Show me how I'm wrong. I don't mind. You're right, God. Father, you mean to visit this country, this city, this region. Oh, God. You're giving us what's necessary to break the darkness that keeps the people captive. Father, we are the answer to the unsaved. We are the answer to the drug addict. We are the answer to the impoverished and to the emotionally broken, to the depressed, to the poor and to the weak and to the victimized. We are the answer.